Hello and welcome to Trillennial Horrors, the horror podcast where we put ourselves through rewatches of early 2000s horror movies to find out if they're still worth watching in the age of A24. This episode, we're joined by journalist, broadcaster and podcaster Mike Munzer of the Evolution of Horror podcast. And we're going to be talking about the Saw franchise, which I think we're all very, very excited about. Um, I'm pretty confident that we're all fans of the Saw franchise. Is that fair? Yes. Um, well, I, I, to be honest, actually, this has been the first time I've rewatched everything from two onwards since they were out in the cinema. So I've always been a huge fan of Saw One, but uh, never revisited any of the sequels until now. So that's been a <laughs> that's been a treat. <laughs> oh, that's really nice because I feel like I've watched them many times. <laughs> It's kind of going to be like our Final Destination episode where I'm like, well, I didn't really discover that much that was new because I've been watching these movies continually for the last 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) That's good, actually, because I may have questions about chronology and accomplices and, you know, all of that. So I'm glad I've got an expert here to chat to about that. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) Okay. It's nice that we're all like... Uh, it's nice that we're looking forward to this one. I think um, our previous episode on Rob Zombie was a little bit uh, less excitable. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's go. So, um, yeah, Saw. I mean, I can't imagine anyone's listening to this without knowing anything about Saw, but let's let's start at the beginning anyway. So Saw is a very low-budget horror slash thriller. Might come on to that in a bit. Um by James Wan and Lee Whannell. So the the basic sort of setup is that there are two guys who wake up in a disgusting bathroom with their ankles chained to the wall and some sores (laughs) and a a challenge from a mysterious killer known as the Jigsaw. And and their options are basically, are they willing to saw through their own ankle in order to escape? But things get a lot more convoluted, I guess, than from there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they do. <laughs> yeah, I guess. What What was your What was your first kind of memory of of seeing it? How did you feel going in to a rewatch? I have always loved the first one, and I, I can't even remember when I first saw it. Now it wasn't at the cinema. I think I saw the first one on DVD when I was a teenager and loved it. I, I, I think it was the perfect combination of uh, like a sort of slick, sort of Seven or Silence of the Lambs esque procedural thriller, right? But with Tons of gore and violence and gnarly horror. And actually, the the first one is so good because it's so beautifully simple, I think, as well. And it's a really good horror film. I think uh, I think something that maybe the sequels lose a bit is that the, the first one actually has genuine suspense, like uh, those kind of James Wan moments of... Lee Wanell creeping around his flat in the dark with the camera flashing and the dolls and I don't know it feels like there's actually a there's a real palpable sense of dread as well in this movie which I love so first one just pretty much ticked every box for me and I think the twist is one of the best movie twists of all time not just in the horror genre but just in cinema I think it's incredible yeah it's pretty good how about you Johnny did you see it in cinema uh I didn't I think I was uh, maybe like a couple of years too young. I can't remember now. I didn't see it at the cinema. I saw it, yeah, on a cheeky download. I think about four or five of us watched it because we we're all really excited. I think we'd all seen the uh, the poster that had the foot and the saw, um, yeah. and the tagline "Dare you see saw." I mean, that's just irresistible. Like as a teenager, yeah. Um, <laughs> so good. It so does feel good. like you can't really get away with that anymore, but it's nice. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed that none of us saw it in the cinema on its original run because I didn't either. But yeah, it's, it's, it seems like we all saw it when we were sort of young and impressionable. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I, and I must have definitely seen it 
quite soon after it came out on DVD because I saw the second one in the cinema and they were pretty much consecutive, right? They came out year after year after year. So I definitely saw it within that year because then from two onwards, I saw every single one at, at the cinema. So yeah, it, yeah, the first one definitely must have made an impression. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely had that kind of um, like buzz around it, didn't it? Like like that day you see saw, but it was that kind of like, oh, um, it came out when I was at university and one of my flatmates worked at the cinema and there was very much that kind of like, this is really, really extreme film. Like, is anyone going to dare and go and see it? And I was like, no. <laughs> too scared um and waited for it to be on dvd okay so so yeah i'm trying to put myself back in the kind of head space of sort of 2004 2005 a lot of the films we've been talking about so far are haunted houses or ghosts or remakes but this was like i'm being uncharitable to rob zombie but this feels like the first one that was really like here is something new here is something like you've not seen before you don't know what to expect and it is going to be different i think um I think actually having very recently rewatched House of a Thousand Corpses as well, there's definitely a change in aesthetic between the Rob Zombie and, and Saw. I don't know, what do you reckon? I think partly it's mm. a function of just being really cheap. It's, it's interesting watching it now and like, all that kind of quick cut editing, which it feels like a complete staple of the franchise, but was also to, to disguise the fact that they didn't have enough shots and stuff like that. They just didn't have time to get all those pickups and everything. Yeah, it, does, it definitely has its own aesthetic and it really just puts you in that room straight away. Like that kind of harsh, brightly lit, but also grubby and grimy, kind of switching between the kind of the brightness of the room where they're trapped in with that sort of brown, and then it gets increasingly green as it goes on. But it's kind of like brown, yellow, I guess, like a lot of the detective scenes with Danny Glover and um, Dina Mayer as Carrie. Yeah, it definitely has a, a distinct aesthetic to it. Yeah, it does feel a bit like you're watching a new metal or part yeah. music video, doesn't it? I think for for and that 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 aesthetic really <laughs> is sustained throughout most of the sequels as well, and gets more and more extreme. I'd say it's the one element maybe of the Saw films that has aged pretty badly, and I don't think mm-hmm. holds up that well in in, in a way. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think everyone, probably me included, sometimes dismiss this kind of decade of horror as being like just torture porn stuff basically and and you know people like like you guys have discussed rob zombie eli roth all films and filmmakers that to be honest i don't really like very much and i think saw gets lumped in with that but actually i think again this is why i think james wan and lee Wanell, the two of them have had in some ways are much more interesting and have had a longer lasting career because I think they are really good horror filmmakers and they're not just kind of making splattery stuff and, and with nothing more. Uh, I think uh, these yeah. movies have really good plots, don't they? <laughs> like, really importantly, like, I really love the story, the mystery, the twists, the traps. Uh, they're a bit more creative, I think, maybe than some of the other stuff that gets sort of lumped in with that category of movies from this era. Yeah, I want to come back to torture porn later, but um, let's focus on on saw for a second just because I think a thing that kind of struck me this time is yeah when I'm watching the first one I kind of can't get the rest of the franchise out of my head um and so there are lines in it and and moments in it that I want to imbue with more significance than they actually would have had because like they they didn't know what they didn't know what was going to come after you know they were like yeah you guys pretty much fresh out of film school um you know trying to think of a concept that they could conceivably make on whatever limited funding they could get and so that's why you've got you know two guys in a room um that's pretty much the simplest thing you can can set up so my favorite line in it i think there's a lovely bit where 
uh, Carrie Hours as Dr. Lawrence Gordon throws his wallet to Adam, played by Lee Whannell, to um, show him the family photo in his wallet of his uh, wife and daughter. And uh, and it, I can't remember what, why. There, there's some reason he's like, he's like, oh, um, there's an, there's he wants to look at something else. And he says, there's another picture beneath the one you're looking at. And like, that feels like such one of those like significant lines. Like there's always something else, like, a, a sort of a feature of the films is like you're never quite seeing what's actually happening but it's just it's just complete chance like there's no way that that was intended to mean that it's it's really clever actually isn't it it's I mean, I mean sometimes it feels so like oh my god they're like turning the cogs to make everything <laughs> fit together really like especially when you get to like saw four but there is something a that's quite satisfying about it where you feel like every kind of throwaway reference in like some of these early films then ends up sort of yeah, meaning something absolutely. quite important yeah. later on and even though that's I'm sure like you said that's all sort of retroactively kind of you know shoehorned in it's still kind of fun isn't it like I think yeah. I can't think of another horror franchise that works so well of a, a single piece you know like we all know that there are some great Halloween films and some really bad ones. And they bring back Jamie Lee Curtis like eight times and kill her off. And, you know, there's all different, uh, you know, retconning of of Jason and Freddy and Hellraiser. And at least you get, at least Saw, for better or worse, feels like it really is like one giant story and universe, doesn't it? It's nice. Yeah. I think that's why hmm. it's probably the easiest one to marathon yeah. as well. Like you can sit there and watch it from beginning to end without getting that kind of fatigue that sits in if you try and watch, you know, like four Halloween films or Friday the 13th films or even, dare I say it, Final Destination mm-hmm. a little bit in that like they, those films all kind of have a formula and, you know, you're like, here's a new group of people and they're going to get killed by the same killer, basically. Which I guess kind of applies in Saw, but after you get a couple of films in, it's very much this, yeah, twisted police procedural and then you've got the kind of family element of jigsaw and his accomplices but like it's so it's so strange going back to that very first one because i think um someone said it earlier but like it, it's very kind of seven isn't it it's very like one of those thrillers like it's got that edge which also actually is kind of interesting because i only really felt that this time i think because i'd never seen seven <laughs> until quite recently oh, oh my God. <laughs> so, what a treat for you <laughs> so i was like oh now i understand <laughs> yeah where this was coming from because like yeah there is yeah there is that that precedes yeah. it seven has a lot to answer for actually in general doesn't it i mean like every film since seven had that kind of like yeah. rainy opening credit sequence with like, kind of like <laughs> cut out photos and jarry and you know like jutter juddery writing and all of that kind of thing it's like stylistically that yeah. film is so influential i think but yeah you can see it all over saw i actually spoke to i spoke to lee Wanell. i think it was at the press junket for invisible man and we spoke about saw and obviously he he was like, I, you know, we had no intention of creating this kind of torture. You know, he he said the first one was never intended to be like a sort of torture horror movie. It was supposed to be like a seven, like a like a detective thriller, basically, just with a bit of like mm-hmm. nastiness thrown in. But um, it's it's interesting the sort of legacy it's left behind. I think because yeah, you're right. The first one's quite different. Yeah. So let's talk about the the torture element. So the main kind of key plot, like we said, is these two guys in a room and. I guess they're being mentally tortured because uh, they're aware that kind of there's a ticking, there's very literally a ticking clock. Um, They're trapped in a room with a corpse. It's a very disgusting place to be trapped. They don't really know what's going on. And Lawrence finds out that, you know, his family being held captive. So there's this whole kind of desperation, I guess, to their situation. But they're not being tortured in the way that like 
at least to begin with, that people think of, you know, like no one's there sticking pins in them or anything, you know, they're just sitting in a room um, wondering whether or not to cut. In fact, I'm not even wondering. I think yeah. they don't figure out that they're supposed to cut their feet off until yeah. quite late on. But it's it's the other traps, isn't it? The other ones that are that kind of seven style traps that have, you know, because we've got this whole jigsaw killer whose whole thing is I'm going to take something about your life and twist it and turn it back on you. So you get, I, I mean, Jigsaw's logic in this film is awful, but like <laughs> there's a guy who apparently uh, has been signed off sick from work, but <laughs> Jigsaw's seen him out and about because <laughs> that's the thing that can't possibly happen. Skiving, <laughs> how dare you? It's like a picture of him getting into a car. How fucking yeah. dare you have an illness that doesn't put you flat on your back every day? Like... <laughs> Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, questionable. But yeah, so he's in a trap where he has to open a safe and the only light he's got is a match and he's covered in a flammable jelly and naked, I think. And the combination to the safe is written on the wall, but so are thousands of other numbers. And the floor's covered in broken glass as well. That one's that one is particularly harsh and like doesn't really feel like a jigsaw trap. Like, like I think if this was a, a later film, we'd be going... Oh, that was a that was more of a Hoffman trap, or that was more of a like it doesn't almost doesn't fit Jigsaw's mo in a way, does it? That one, it's weird. Yeah, I think. I mean, yeah, I think. I think it's nice that they did that later, where you know they introduce that Amanda mm. is not letting people yeah. survive, or like Hoffman is creating impossible traps to kind of fix some of those problems. Because yeah, like you say, you do look at it and go, "Well, hang on, that's not fair." <laughs> um, what's the other one? The other there's one with a guy who I mean, I like looking at the victims that he chooses here it's quite clear that they haven't really figured out his mo because they're just really petty yeah i think yeah the, they are. the other one's like oh you um you you self-harmed so now i'm gonna put you in a room of razor wire mm, it's, like, yeah. it's pretty brutal isn't it yeah and also the one the the and i remember this at the time one of the big set pieces that a lot of people spoke about was the amanda one that's being really gory you know yes. quite one of the first gory moments wasn't it and uh what about that poor guy who had the key? What did he do? Like we he ne- had no chance. No, he like, has no chance. What was his test? We never really find because you know they 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 do always make this point, don't they? That like Jigsaw isn't a murderer. He kind of like comes up with ways for victims to kill themselves. What about that poor guy? What did he do? Like <laughs> I know exactly because I think I think I found myself kind of questioning that in some of the later ones. Um, I mean, yeah, without getting too far ahead of myself, but like the carousel in Saw 6 is set up so that only two people, I think, can can possibly survive it. So you're like, well, that's not fair. Like everybody doesn't really have a fair chance of getting out of it. But that is right. I mean, that's baked in right from the beginning that these traps um, don't always work in the way that they're supposed to. I think we have to partially put that down to rubbish accomplices and partially put that down to the fact that John Kramer is um, a man who's dying of brain cancer. Also, I've just realised we haven't talked about John Kramer. So uh, the the shocking twist at the end that um, if you've not seen this film, sorry, massive spoiler. But the, the massive twist at the end is that the, the guys have been sitting in a room with a corpse um, on the floor. And at the end, he gets up and he is not dead. He is actually the killer. It's a really cool twist, I think, when you see it the first time and then you start having questions. yeah it is very cool though I'll never forget like that first time I watched it and how you know I think sometimes some of the best twists are the ones where they are literally right in front of you and you don't see them and like not once throughout the whole film do they ever or do we ever really question 
who's that dude in the middle of you both? Like, he's literally there on screen throughout the whole film, and you just kind of forget about him almost. I do think that's super clever. But the pro- yeah, and again, the problem is, I think, is that the sequels invite you to think more and more and more about the mechanics of how he achieved everything, and then that invites maybe more plot holes i think doesn't it that's the problem yeah i think they're always filling them in but they uh they keep opening up <laughs> yeah it's just like just so full of like oh shit like great oh shit moments that film that yeah like john kramer getting up off the floor the um he doesn't want us to cut through our chains he wants us to cut through our feet bit and danny glover's raid on uh john kramer's like hideout as well they're just like you can imagine when they're like writing it and putting it together, it's like, oh yeah, we need, we like, there's been too much of these two people sitting around. We need like a big jolt, and yeah. so many of them just hit. Still, like, still so much fun. So good. It is really fun. I think another thing that's sort of weirdly interesting slash maybe slightly confusing about the detective story and how it fits in with the main bathroom trap in this one is that they're not. They look like they're running concurrently, but they mm. aren't. So you're seeing bits from the investigation right up until. Um, detectives tap and sing, go to Jigsaw's lair and walk into but basically a booby trap. And that feels like it's happening at the same time as the guys yeah. are stuck in the room and trying to get out. But then later on, you realise it obviously isn't because Adam Lee Wanell's character talks about how he was hired by a man with a scar on his throat. And we've just seen how mm-hmm. he got that scar. So obviously, like, a lot of yeah. time has passed. You mentioned a chronology, Mike, and I do wonder if anyone's managed to ever kind of make it make sense. I, 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 I wonder if that's possible. <laughs> oh, that stuff with his wife as well. Like, it's like yeah, the, the, um, with sorry, Lawrence's yeah. wife. I, I still don't understand how qu- that quite makes sense, and that how Zep gets from like one place to another. I'm sure it like there must be a logic. Don't I mean? Don't get me started on. It's not just the chronology; it's the geography of <laughs> these buildings. Like, what the hell? Why? I mean, like. I don't know if they ever find that building, do they, with the bathroom in? Because we keep ending up back inside it at various points throughout the series and there are still, like, skeletons in there. And it's like, who else is just in there crawling (laughs) around? Does that mean they've never found Detective Tapp's body either? Because he was somewhere running around those corridors when he got killed. There's just a building full of dead bodies that never got discovered in this city. But where everything is in relation to other things is really confusing. And yeah, chronology... I think, like you said, Sarah, that idea of not realizing that these two stories are happening at the same time is a trick they play over. They do, yeah, they yeah. love it again, it, all the way up until Jigsaw from a couple of years ago. This idea that the procedural storyline isn't happening at the same time as the trap storyline, and they love pulling they that do. twist at the end. They, they love do it. love that twist, and I kind of love that twist every time. Oh, me too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's kind of fun, isn't it? I like it as well. Yeah, it's kind of like pulling at movie logic, like because you're watching this. You, watching it you know cut from one scene to another like you want to assume that they're happening simultaneously but it's just going well why why is that (laughs) maybe they're not yeah no what you're actually seeing is like a sort of lost episode with flashbacks basically aren't you as opposed to uh two storylines happening at the same time it's great (laughs) i think i think a lot of the things that seem now like problems with the first film are just kind of artifacts of fact that you know yeah, they were two kids straight out of film school. They had like a million dollars and they had 18 days. So I think that a lot of it is just comes down to, you know, they had like one building to shoot in. So when you see the interior of the police station, it's the same building as the warehouse. So when you see, um, I think my favourite bit of kind of onset saw trivia is that one of their cameramen, I think, had to go to hospital for concussion because he banged his head on the ceiling of the, the, I think it's the set with the razor wire. 
but like the ceiling is so low um but then you kind of just see James Wan walking around quite happy. Cause <laughs> oh, because he's so diddy. I love James. Why is James, why is it that, you know, you met, you invoked uh, Rob Zombie and Eli Roth, who are kind of quite unappealing uh-huh. characters. I shouldn't say that in earshot of my husband. James Wan, though, just want to kind of oh, cuddle him. Him and Lee Wanell, you kind of feel, I mean, that's the other thing. I don't know. It also feels like with the Saw franchise, there's there's not that kind of leeriness maybe that there are in some of these mm. contemporaries as well, right? And I, mm-hmm. almost, particularly the first one, it's almost like a, it's almost asexual, right? I mean, it's like they, 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 there's none of that kind of gaze, it doesn't seem like, or there's not really much nudity or anything. It's kind of like... It's we're just here for the traps and the mm-hmm. gore, basically, and it, yeah, it's um, I, I, and I remember even at the time thinking that felt quite refreshing again in comparison to people like Eli Roth and Rob Zombie <laughs> and all the others, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's yeah, it's really striking watching it after any Rob Zombie film, just being like, oh, I I don't feel like I'm being violently pushed out of this film for being a woman. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> in fact, it seems like, I mean, I don't know this, but it seems like the majority of the victims are men throughout the whole series, doesn't it, a lot of the time? Yeah. Yeah. I wish I'd looked this up, but I'm sure I've read like a Lee Wannell, um interview somewhere where he said, yeah, because they're all meant to be like nasty pieces of work. And he, I think he just that sort of, I don't know what he was, like 23 or something, just, just kind of thought that women were above that. <laughs> They wouldn't be in these situations apart from Amanda who's a drug addict and therefore gets a bear drop on her head <laughs> yes yeah no, that's true but then she's the one that survives it in the first one as well so that's interesting like the one female victim does actually survive the trap and the rest don't yeah, that's yeah. True. yeah. and you do really notice it in later movies when it kind of does stray towards uh being a bit more leery like in Saw 3 with the naked woman chained up getting frozen to death or yeah. Obviously, like Saw 3D is the big offender for just being feeling really anti-women in a big way. Yes. Yeah. yeah and then, then but yeah, the, the majority of it, yeah, is completely kind of yeah free of all of that. I think maybe when you're making something that fast, um, like a lot of your prejudices and that kind of just attitudes that you have come mm. out because you don't have time to overthink it and remove them. Mm. And I, I do think that there's a degree of like just being like, oh, men are terrible, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> but not just, not even necessarily like in a particularly um, righteous way, in that he just doesn't really think of women as being that layered at this point. Mm. He has got significantly better at that. I will give him that. But yeah, I think that being that young and like just overexcited. <laughs> totally. Like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. In the first one as well, I was just thinking about how you mentioned the carousel trap as well, how incredibly elaborate and kind of Rube Goldberg machine the traps get. Like In the first one, it really does feel like just wants to get under your skin in a very simple way. It's like, oh, broken glass. Or like, oh, crawling through razor wire. Like it comes so deep that they found stomach acid. Like it oh, is I just, hate that like, <laughs> but it is it is just all it's it like the flammable liquid one does feel quite elaborate, but they're all like very much just kind of make you wince, make you shocked, and not kind of linger on it. I um I think yeah I can I completely agree. I think having just watched all the sequels, I think the traps when they're at their best. They are simpler and they're more relatable, right? I, I think like the best saw traps are those kind of 
really extreme versions of a would you rather game aren't they basically it's yeah. like, oh, what would you do there would you be able to cut off your own leg to survive or whatever it might be and the ones that are really complicated where you're like i don't even understand what this is again is it the opening of saw 4 where you've got kind of two guys attached with a chain and one can't hear and the other can't speak and i was like what what even is the test what are they doing like i think some of them when they remove that simplicity of it, I think you remove the power a little bit as well. Yeah. Um, and they sort of get better and worse depending on who's writing and who directs the, the different sequels, I think, don't they? But Definitely. Um, that's what I love about the first one as well, yeah. I just think it's, I, I, the reason why I laughed when you described that trap is not because I'm a psychopath, but because that was the first one that sprang to mind as well when yeah. I was thinking like ones like, that don't make that? sense. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I've never understood what's going on in that trap. And the other one is the ice block trap again, I think in Saw 4, um, which oh. is like a fake trap that Hoffman set up that he's in. And there's, an elect- there's electrical wire and like... I- there's like yep. a block of ice that's melting, but there's wire. But then the whole point is that the door, like it's a setup that as long as he doesn't open the door, yeah, I never understood that one. I've watched that film so many times. I, I also think, and this is an unpopular opinion because I know a lot of people love Saw 2. I don't love Saw 2. And I think that I have a problem with a lot of the traps. I don't really understand the guy in the oven. I don't really, like, I think, again, the best the best moment in Saw 2 is the simplest, which is where Amanda falls into the pit of needles. Because it's like, ah, you, yeah, you can feel that's awful. that, right? And some of the others are so out there and uh, yeah you know I think uh, the simpler the better definitely for these films yeah I think so I I, I identified myself as a Saw fan and I do love these movies and I will watch them all but I think the only ones I would potentially argue are actually good are five and six Yeah, I can't believe how much I enjoyed fun, yeah. especially. Like I, I, I remember speaking to you guys because I said, oh God, I've I've just watched three. And in my head, only one to three were any good and everything beyond it was terrible. That was my memory of it. And you two both said to me like, oh no, when you get to five, it gets good again. And you were totally right. Like five and six, <laughs> there's, a little, there's a little uphill, there's a little peak there in the middle, <laughs> yeah. isn't there? I think it's really good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, yeah, it's really difficult to persuade people of that. <laughs> Because you're like, the first one you'll get through and think, yep, that's quite a nice thriller, I'm happy. Then you'll get to like two and you'll start to feel a bit like, maybe a bit fed up. You'll get to three and be like, oh God, what's happening? You'll get to four and you will not want to go any further because four Four is awful. Yeah. And then you get to five and you're like, ooh, like there's like a point suddenly and like, and like it's not all green and washed out and I can actually see things and 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 the, the traps start to be interesting and yeah yeah like, like it 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 goes back to being a bit simpler and more linear five doesn't it I think uh, four is almost like uh it's like that sort of junction point between like they, they, it felt like it had to do a heavy lot of heavy lifting didn't it saw four where it was like wrap up everything mm. from the first three and set up this whole Hoffman stuff that we're going to explore in the next three films kind of thing. And it's doing, it feels like four is doing a lot. And it's like, oh God, you can really feel like the gears turning in four at every moment, you know? That's kind of how I feel about three. Like it's obviously, um, yeah, it does feel like one to three is a bit of a trilogy and Mm. it feels like three is trying very hard to close a lot of doors in a way that yes. makes sense. I know that Lee Wan all kind of came back to do it because um, the producer died, I think Greg Hoffman had passed away and they decided to kind of come back and make one last Saw movie. And I think that's always the excuse I use for three because I do have a bit of a soft spot for it. And I think it is because they do so much story and it is way too long. 
And then four seems to find a way to complicate that, I guess, because they have to introduce Hoffman, who's Jigsaw's successor and has to basically, yeah, he kind of needs to be a bit mysterious for the number four before he just turns full, like, smarmy villain. <laughs> uh, I mean... Uh, at some point, I need to talk to you guys about how many accomplices and successors there are together. <laughs> well. like, how many people were actually working together during like these films? You know, because it's insane, isn't it? The amount of like reveals that there are new accomplices th- this whole time, kind of thing. Yeah, I think it kind of depends who you think of as an accomplice. So, in the first film, Zep kind of feels like he's. He's the accomplice. He's um oh, what's that guy's name? He's from Lost. Michael's Yeah, Michael, Michael Emerson. Emerson. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. So for a lot Amazing. of the first film, they're trying to trick you into thinking that he's Jigsaw because he's the one who kidnaps the family. He's unnecessarily creepy with them as well when he kidnaps mm-hmm. them. Like he's a weirdo either way, isn't he? <laughs> he's yeah. just a weirdo. Like, yeah, he's yeah. The, the the moment when he gets the stethoscope and he's like measuring their heartbeat while he puts guns to like that is he is a psycho he's a proper yes. psychopath, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he's he's uh, yeah, but but as we learn, he is not actually the jigsaw killer. He also had a tape, and he he um yeah, I love the like how retro that feels now. He gives him a little tape. Um, yeah, I also love yeah. in the first one that they find the cassette they find cassette tapes in their pockets, and they say "play me" on them, like as if Jigsaw doesn't trust them to figure out that they should do. That. <laughs> <laughs> so true, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, do we count Zep as an accomplice? I guess not. He's just a guy. He's just a, he's only a- no. I I think he's he's a victim technically, isn't he? He is one of he's, he's a horrible victim. He's kind of a one trap guy. <laughs> he's not in on yeah. the whole plan. So yeah, when we get to Saw Saw Two, we find out that Jigsaw has an accomplice in Amanda, which is another lovely twist that we get in that film. I think. I think Two's twists are great. I, I do agree that. Two's one I go back and forth on because I remember going to see it at the cinema and it really, yeah, like you mentioned, Mike, the needle pit is absolutely horrible and it gets me every time. But like in terms of the twists, it's really good. The actual plot, I think the people waking up in a house and having to navigate the traps, all that's very disposable and none of them feel like real people. It's all a bit of a rush mess because meanwhile, cop Donnie Wahlberg is looking for his son who Jigsaw has kidnapped and just needs to sit down and talk to him. <laughs> but yeah, some of those twists in that movie. I mean, the your son is in a safe place. Is yeah, that is lovely. Absolutely incredible. <laughs> so good, so good. That it makes that whole film worth it just for that twist. And actually, yeah, you 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 know that those two strands going on at the same time. It, I love the Donnie Wahlberg and Tobin Bell just sitting in a room talking to each other. I think those. In fact, yeah, Tobin Bell wonderful. is just so good, isn't he? Throughout this whole series, I think he lights up every scene he's in. And I guess Saw Two maybe be is when you get the most of him on screen as well and it's uh, it's a joy oh, to watch him in that point. film i've not, not thought about the percentage i don't know i suppose you do get i suppose you do get quite a lot of him in is it four yeah. as well where it sort of shows all of his backstory and the yeah like, i feel like you get quite a lot in three even though he's like dying in a bed but he's still he's like, having yeah. the most fun in two i think because yeah, yeah, yeah. he's just you, you're not yeah. fully kind of burdened with all that family stuff with jill and everything he's not doing too much yeah moralizing about what his mission is he's just having fun teasing Donnie Wahlberg and winding him up for 90 minutes he's kind of he's kind of Hannibal Lecter in the second one isn't he he's like toying with the cops and everything he's great yeah it is sort of weird that Saw has become this um almost poster child for a certain kind of horror movie when 
Uh, really, it's it's its roots are, like we say, like in Seven or in, well, I guess debate whether that's horror or thriller or what, or mm. like even Jallo, the first one, like there's obvious yeah. deep red parallels with the first and one. And James Wan's still trying to do like haunted house stuff in, in the first one, like, yeah, I think like Mike mentioned, all that stuff like in the cupboard, I'd forgotten all about that. It's like, oh yeah, this is, this is exactly what you want to be doing. You want to yes. be making like Conjuring and Insidious. I know, there's a little, little yeah. blueprint there for what James Wan was going to continue, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. so good. It's just, just this bringing in the, the, the Billy the Puppet like is such a weird thing to do um, in this otherwise fairly sort of straight, thrillery, serial killer thing. You're like, but there's a creepy doll. Why? He's an engineer. There's a creepy doll. He <laughs> <laughs> can rig up a creepy doll. Why not? It's great. They know they knew it would work though, and it did. Like there's that sort of there's just iconography now that you associate with Saw, and that is one of the biggest, isn't it? Is that puppet. You're right, it makes absolutely no sense. Why is there that puppet? And you know, what what it's weird. Why is that puppet able to like bicycle into rooms by itself and talk and stuff? Like it doesn't really make any sense, but it's cool and it's creepy. It is. <laughs> the the puppet in Deep Red does that, doesn't it? Tries to right, strike, it, yeah. I think. But again, it has like no Oh, like, does it have it? I, I can never remember if it actually mean like has any relevance to anything. I don't think it does. Is it? No. Is it something to do with the? Yeah. Is it something to do with the backstory of when a character, like the killer, was a little boy or something? I, I can't think remember. It's but... to do with the childhood, but I just remember it just rides in and falls over, doesn't it? And then the face breaks. Yeah, yeah. yeah it doesn't yeah, yeah, have yeah, yeah. like sinister tapes attached to it. No. And like laughing at the cops. No. But but also, I mean, I hadn't thought about it until literally we were recording this, but it has, Deep Red also has a similar thing of the killer is there in plain sight at, all the, all the way through or at the beginning. Yeah. And then you have the creepy doll. So I think, yeah, there's definitely that kind of jallowy um, flavour to it. Yeah, 100% <laughs> as well. And uh, yeah, the pig, the pig masks are weird as well, aren't they? Yeah. And again, they kind of really go to a lot of effort to try and explain the pig masks in the sequels. But that's a weird thing to just chuck into the first one as well, isn't it? Um, but again, it's kind of creepy, like it works. And it's like the, the warehouse being on Stygian Street, which I'd completely forgotten about. <laughs> but yeah, it's like a very grounded seven star thriller. And then it's like, no, creepy dolls, pig masks, Stygian Street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's what makes it like, what makes it stand out from, you know, any other kind of low budget thriller is like all these weird elements that because they're not explained they just kind of snag in your mind and you're like that was weird Mm. Uh, and and that puppet looked cool and then you remember it whereas I mean I think it probably still would have been quite cool but I think it would have been more dismissed as a seven ripoff if it didn't have those Mm. things yeah I think so and I think it's uh, yeah again I don't want to keep slagging off people like Eli Roth but I think sometimes that films like Hostel forget to be horror films like I I kind of feel like they are they're kind of teen comedies then with loads of gore thrown in I think and and like I don't know there's just there's just an actual kind of suspense in the original Saw that I Mm -hmm. think is missing from a lot of other movies of this ilk you know which I love like genuinely yeah. creepy, uncanny stuff. Yeah. Mm. There's not that much actual gore, is there? The leg bit in the unrated version is a bit longer. I remember there basically being no gore, but you do see like the saw going in and blood spurting out of his leg. But generally, no, it's I think, apart from Detective Singh's exploding head, I think that's a bit of a because he gets a shotgun blast right to the top of his skull. Yeah. That actor also in Lost, I believe. Yes, well. I think so. Miles in Lost, because I've been recently doing a whole rewatch of Lost as well, and I was like, oh, there's a lot of crossover here for some reason. Yeah. yeah. It's just yeah, thinking about like the kind of creepy uncanniness of it, because obviously that basically goes for Saw 2, from Saw 2, which is obviously not directed by James Wan, it's directed by Darren Lynn Bowsman. 
but is written by Lee Wanell. And it was, I think it was a screenplay that Darren Lynn Bowsman had originally written that wasn't Saw and then was adapted. Yeah, it's a mashup, isn't but, it? Um, yeah, you, like basically just picks of, of the many things it can pick to kind of carry on with. It goes for traps and mad police procedural. Like, yeah, you're right, the kind of the horror stuff outside of wincing or oh, isn't that painful kind of goes, I think, pretty much permanently. Does, I mean, I'm trying to think of yeah. other spooky uh, bits in Saw, the Saw franchise, and there's not a huge amount. Not a genuine amount of creepy spookiness or sort of jump scares or anything like that. It's like Lee Wanell and James Wan went and took that elsewhere, didn't yeah. they? That, that, that stuff. <laughs> We're off yeah, a dead not silence. Really, not re- yeah, exactly. Not really in the Saw sequels so much. Yeah. And then, yes, yeah, so we get this weird mashup in Saw 2 of, of two scripts, which... I wonder where the safe and se- you'll, you'll find your son in a safe and secure place. I wonder where that line comes from. I wonder if that's a Boozman or a One L original, because that's that's the that's the bit. Everyone. Yeah, it's magic. <laughs> it's absolutely perfect. so good. So good. Yeah. <laughs> so um, very quickly, Mike, what's your kind of uh, I guess order of order of preference of the sequels? Ooh, a ranking. Okay. Ah. Uh. I feel like we agree at this point, but I'm not sure. I yeah. need to. Okay, I'd say one top, and then I think, and this is a this is a revelation to me. I think my second favorite, my favorite of all the sequels, is five. Then maybe three, then six, then two, then Jigsaw, then four, then seven. Something yeah. like that, I think. That was just off the top of my head. That's a pretty solid ranking. Something, <laughs> something like that. It would definitely be one and five at the top, four and seven at the bottom, and then I'm not quite sure about the middle, but yeah, something like that. Yeah, I think that's probably about fair. I think I would put six a bit at higher the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but like I do like five as well. I think I like I like both of those films a lot. I think because they start to make a bit. I mean, normally I would hate it that they're explaining things, but they kind of give it a bit more purpose. Like in five, they're all people who've been connected with a, a mm. fire in a building, isn't it? That killed some people. And in six, they're all connected to health insurance yes. um, <laughs> companies who who choose not to give cancer patient John Kramer a very experimental, expensive treatment that he wants. Mm. I think that the biggest problem, though, with four and five that I know everyone talks about is the fact that the two cops, one good, one bad, look identical. Why on earth did they choose these two white men who look identical? Both both not really that charismatic or good either. And they both are like the two most important roles in these films. And it's that is really confusing. Yeah. It's really confusing. And then you get to that trap at the end where... uh, well, one of them is going to get squished and one of them gets a coffin and you don't know if the coffin is kind of good or bad, but at the same time, you're like, I don't know which one of you is which anyway, so I have no fucking idea what's yeah, happening. I, I think I genuinely thought at the end of that film, first time around in the cinema, I was like, well, was that, did the good guy die or did the bad guy die? I have no idea at this point, you know. Oh, uh, Hoffman. I think it doesn't help as well. They're both playing it at the exact same pitch of bitchiness for the whole time. Like they yes. are both just like sassy and like pissed off. And like they're both sort of like, oh, that's what you think. Like for the whole film, like but the whole two films are like, uh, there's like someone come, they think they die and they come back. It's like, oh shit! It's just it's so. <laughs> I think that's what I quite like about the latest Saw movies in particular is that it does. I don't think four is great, but one of the things I did enjoy is that whole telenovelaness of like these two 
competing characters who just have to like hide the truth from each other and they're both just so sassy uh, it's just yeah, yeah. It, i don't know how to describe yeah. it but like they're bad like you know like the, neither performance is great but it does <laughs> i think especially at that point where it just feels like all the joy has been sucked out of saw 4 like their bizarre kind of battle is just so much fun and it yeah. does feel like it ends quite prematurely for a saw franchise movie because they're, they're only in it like uh, stram's only in it for two movies isn't he and yeah. Perez is yeah, Perez seeing the Hannah Bella thing. You think Perez is dead, and then she's brought back, and then she's killed again. Yeah, yeah. just pinging all over the place. But they, yeah, same haircut, same face, same performance. <laughs> and there's a bit where where like Hoffman is trying to frame Strom, and he's stolen his phone. And there's a there's a bit that's something to do with like caller ID, and I'm just like, I don't I don't know what's happening. No, it's too it's too complicated. It is massively that's incompetent, not- boss. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're right though. There's all that kind of like because the fourth one is when Stram is FBI, right? The one's yeah. a sort of normal sort of homicide detective. The other one's FBI, and it's all like, step aside, sir. This is FBI territory now, and it's all it's like, oh, your department? Like, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so and it's like it's, I'm the only one left. It's like there's all this like drama going on with whatever terrible department this is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because like, yeah, it's like you're the only detective left from the original. Um, yeah, team. It's like, wait, what? What? There are only three detectives in this precinct, and they're all dead. How sad is it when Carrie gets killed in an impossible trap? I mean, what? Why? Like, she was make her the main character in one of the sequels. You know, like, what a missed opportunity. Because it's like, I really love this idea that these characters that were sort of minor supporting roles in the first couple then sort of come to the fore, and that's quite cool. Yeah. That you that when you start watching three, you think, oh, this is going to be her film. And then it's not. No. <laughs> it's like, oh. And then you get really un- uninteresting people like Jeff and people instead throughout the rest of that film. Fucking Jeff. So, yeah, yeah. It's like missed opportunities sometimes, I think. That just, it just upsets me so much because she played the game. She actually did what she was supposed to do. She didn't really hesitate. She stuck a hand in the acid. She got the key and the, the trap was a trick. Mm. Bloody Hoffman. I hate Hoffman. Yeah. <laughs> I think three, I do, uh, yeah, like, I do have a soft spot for it because of, it, it wraps up the Jigsaw and Amanda stuff kind of before they obviously go deep into flashbacks and later movies. I do kind of appreciate how much effort it's putting into making a drama out of their relationship and making it interesting. But yeah, it's like, all, yeah, like you said, all, all the Jeff stuff. It's I, I think it's quite a good performance. And I think there's just too much in that film. Like there's too many plot lines to, yeah, like it should have been either Carrie or Jeff and Dr. Lynn Denlin who doesn't have a huge amount to do. I remember there being more important, but really she's just there to wind Amanda up a bit. And then I kind of have to refer back to my earlier point of Lee Wanell's not, or wasn't amazing at writing women for quite yeah, a long time. Yeah, it's true. And, the, the, and there are a lot of twists at the end of three. There's like a comical amount of, ah, this was actually your test all along, you know, like, Jigsaw, <laughs> like every now and then, like somebody fucks up and then he just like retrieves another tape recorder from his, that was in his bed the whole time and stuff, you know, and it's like, what is going, you know, it's like test fest. It was all of your of tests. Yeah. yeah, it was hilarious. Everyone gets a test. I want to see the one where, like, he gives someone the wrong tape because he's just, like, mixed his tapes up. Like. I know. The sheer amount of planning that he had to do, John Kramer, before he died is unbelievable. Yeah, I guess he didn't have much else no. on. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have a project, yeah. <laughs> it, it is good to have a project. Actually, I have one more thing to say about Saw 3, which is um, 
it's really delightful that they introduce Hoffman in Saw 3. And again, it's um, one of those moments that I think, I don't know how far ahead they were planning by the time they got to three, because I guess they did know they were doing one a year by then. But he is introduced in such a brilliant, sneaky way that I have to wonder if they knew then that he was going to be the protagonist like going forward or at least the antagonist, I guess. Because, yeah, there's, they're at a crime scene, aren't they? And like he's in, in the middle of the shot and they're like, the killer could be anywhere. He could just be right over there. And then there's Hoffman kind of like in the background. It's so fun. I know, there's that. I think that's the problem with three and four is that you can feel that tension slightly, can't you? That like Lee Wanell or whoever clearly kind of in his head, it feels like had this as a trilogy and the, the death of Jigsaw at the end of three is the end. It's like the full stop. But then at the same time, there's probably, you know, Lionsgate or whoever thinking, uh-uh, this is like making us too much money. Let's keep going with this. And so there's that sort of, you really feel it in in, in the latter half of three and all the way through four, this like, uh, it's kind of finished, but we've got to find a way to kind of get it back up and running. And, you know, like, how are we going to keep Jigsaw going throughout, like, all these films, even though he's dead and everything else? And, yeah, you can feel the mechanics. Definitely. I remember I, I did read an interview with, um, I think it was Patrick Melton. Uh, oh, no, sorry, it was Marcus Dunstan, because he wrote, uh, Dunstan and Melton came on with four and then wrote the rest of them up into, they didn't write Jigsaw. Um, but there was an interview where they were saying they were invited to watch an early cut of three, when they when they pitched and won the I think the the kind of yeah, the other fight to to write Saw Four and I think they said he said that they'd petitioned Lionsgate to not kill off Matthews uh, Donnie Wahlberg's character because they wanted him back for Four and that Amanda would have killed him in Three um, in the flashback mm-hmm. so yeah it's, it's, I, I think it's the the sheer madness that must have gone into write like let, let alone kind of making a movie every year like this but writing it I can't really get my head around. Especially when it's not the movie that you've not a movie that you've written, you've got to figure out how to spin something out of Saw Three. Madness. Yeah. <laughs> I think they did a great job, though. I mean, not not in Four. Four very much feels like, yeah, what the hell is this? But like, by the time you get to Five and Six, you're like, oh right. There's lots of those like flashbacks, like how Saw Three. I think the first time I saw it, I was like, eh. Nah. But yeah, when the, by the time you've seen the later ones and you've seen the extra kind of, I guess, retconning that explains why characters do seemingly illogical things, mm, many fake then rules. I can go back and watch it and be like, oh, I know what happened there because you told me in Saw 6 or whatever yeah. and, and I appreciate it now. I think that's why, like you said at the beginning, it's these films actually are better to binge watch in a way. Like I, I think I got more out of it this time watching them all in quite quick succession rather than watching them one at a time each year at the cinema, not remembering anything that happened a year ago you know when I was last sat in that cinema watching a Saw film so it's quite nice it's it's basically like watching a TV box set isn't it in a way and then you can kind of forgive the slightly crappier middle ones in a way because they just sort of feel like middle chapters don't they before you sort of like setting up the next one more than but you could never just watch Saw 4 on its own as just a standalone horror film not in the way that you could watch like Nightmare on Elm Street Dream Warriors on its mm. own as a good film, you know? So that's the that's the problem with the latter sort of se- Saw sequels, I think, as well. I, I almost respect that, how much they're just not willing to kind of concede anything to a casual viewer. Yeah. They're just like, to keep up or, or fuck you. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. There was so much like, discussion about the movies in, in the years in between, there, like, in, in the year in between the 12 months or whatever it was, because I do remember... I think it was after Saw 2 and for Saw 3, uh, the whole discussion about whether Donnie Wahlberg would be back as Detective Matthews, because they would always, they do tend to leave a character alive as a cliffhanger or kind of stuck in a trap. And there was a whole thing about, I think, 
Donnie Wahlberg said that he wasn't going to do it, but actually that was all a ploy by Lionsgate to make it a surprise that he was going to come back. So he had to deny reports he'd been seen in Toronto or wherever it was. (laughs) Saying, oh yeah, I was there, but I was just visiting set or something. And I do remember reading those articles and being quite invested in like, oh shit, what's going to happen next? Like, I can't wait for next year. And then I think it was after Saw 3, it was like, oh, probably done actually. (laughs) But yeah, watching them in a box that way definitely... (laughs) <laughs> makes it a lot easier on yeah films like Saw 4 yeah. yeah I think maybe they're designed to sort of like uh, you know you go to the cinema every year to watch the new one but beforehand you have to re-watch the previous <laughs> however many there are so by the time you get to like 6 and 7 you've got like a serious amount of re-watching to do but like you, you kind of need it fresh in your mind it's quite a good sales tactic actually isn't it it's like now you've got to buy part 4 and watch it again before <laughs> coming to see part 5 it's true yeah, or you've got to kind of go to the Prince Charles for a marathon or yeah. something. Yeah. Okay, shall we shall we talk about Saw 3D and why it's the worst? Yeah. I mean, the the biggest kind of speaking of kind of characters whose fate remains unknown, right? The biggest question mark throughout the whole of the seven films was Dr. Gordon, wasn't it? We never knew what happened yeah. to Dr. Gordon, and that was this like lingering mystery and no one ever knew if he was going to make a reappearance and when it finally happens in Saw 7, it just feels so disappointing, I think, doesn't it? I think they kind of wasted that opportunity slightly with Dr. Gordon. I mean, that's just one of the many things I think that's wrong with Saw 3D. But yeah. He does enter with a slow clap. I, I could have this wrong, but I think like his first <laughs> scene is him like doing like a... He does. And, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a mess, especially after Saw 6, which is so like clever, like... I think it is clever, actually. I was going to like concede that maybe it wasn't that clever, but the, all the stuff with the insurance stuff is is so nasty and mean and very funny and sharp. And then none of those things can... Well, nasty could be applied to Saw 3D, but it's not focused at all. Like, it's just a mess and nothing feels connected. It feels like just a mad rush to get Dr. Gordon back and he's not really tied in very much until the very end. Uh, one of the things that really annoys me about it is I do like the idea of this uh, fake jigsaw survivor played by Sean Patrick Flannery. That's a fun plot for a, a Saw movie where someone uh, claims to have been in a Saw trap and have escaped and is now like a life coach going on TV and promoting his book and saying, oh, I've got like, positive thinking through uh, horrible torture, uh, made it out the other side and now I'm <laughs> happily married. And he gets called out, he gets trapped and put in a series of horrible traps because... Yeah, he lied. And that's a sort of fun idea for a, a Saw movie. But yeah, what they do with it is not good. It's not fun. It's just bad execution, isn't it? And what's with the... I mean, that scene with the the white supremacists in the car as well. And the... Chester Bennington. I mean, that, yeah, Chester Bennington. It's a really weird... Like, there is some weird... It, it goes more... Like you've already said, it goes a bit more leery. It's definitely more gory than some mm-hmm. of the others as well, isn't it? And it's a bit more convoluted. Um, yeah, and I, I never really quite understand Jill's place in all of it as well. Jigsaw's wife and, and that kind of rivalry between her and Hoffman and everything. Yes, oh. I will go to bat for Jill Tuck. I love her. She's probably mm. my favourite character in the whole thing. Um, and I, I think she's awesome, uh, which is probably also why I hate this movie so much because... Not only does it kill her, it kills her twice and yeah. once is a dream sequence. And not only is it a dream sequence, it is a um, like unprecedentedly leery dream sequence where she's in like a tiny little silk nighty and tied up like, like limbs akimbo and then gets sort of exploded by some yeah. kind of mechanical thing. Um, and because it's 3D, like... 
like disembodied breast flies towards the camera. Like it is revolting that sequence. I hate it with everything I have. <laughs> um, and it's just yeah, it's so mean. There's like there's no need for that. I also don't, it's supposed to be her dream for one thing, which makes it even weirder. Like why is she dreaming about herself in such a bizarre way? But you know this this is a franchise that's had a lot of tricks along the way you know we're talking about the time changes and like the twists and people not being dead when you think they are but like I don't think it ever goes as far as just an outright this didn't happen yeah. but we showed it you anyway um really like cleverer than that it's normally like you know this did happen mm. but it happened two years ago or whatever like it's not just oh we showed you some stuff but it didn't happen and then they they uh yeah they use the reverse bear trap on her I really wish that this franchise had ended at six and when she puts Hoffman in the bear trap at the end of six he dies his, that's yeah. exactly, yeah, that's how that's it exactly what I thought if, if they had just ended it with Hoffman dying after six so it was like two trilogies and then maybe had Jigsaw because mm. that's quite fun ten Perfect. years later and then yeah. just left it at that I think almost that's going to be my new head canon. I think and just remove Saw 7 entirely <laughs> you have to like uh, 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 sorry, I haven't finished banging my Jill Tuck drum. Um, the, like the fact that the uh, uh, oh god, I've forgotten his name. The internal affairs guy is oh, Gibson. That turns up to kind of investigate. Yes, um, he he in one scene he calls her crazy five times in the space of like three sentences. Mm. It's it, he's awful. It's horrible. And and like Jill is awesome. And she, instead, all she gets is kind of a really lame, like almost slasher movie death where. They, they kind of give up on traps a little bit in this one. So they just kind of have Hoffman stalking her with a knife for a really long time. Yeah. Like Hoffman has become Jason Voorhees <laughs> at this point, hasn't he? Yeah. It's just, it's not what we come to Saw no. for is like mm-hmm. just a dude walking slowly with a knife. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I just think Jill deserved a better ending. But this this movie hates all the women who mm-hmm. are in it. Um, it. Even in the main trap with the, the fake survivor, there's one trap where... Um, a woman has had a fish hook uh, and some and the keys dropped into her stomach down her throat and she's attached to a decibel yeah. mm-hmm. meter. And so in order to save her, he needs to pull out the fish hook from deep in her stomach um, without her screaming loud and loudly enough to set off the thing. Um, and, and so he's just yelling at her, shut up. Why couldn't you just fucking shut up? Which I mean, like what? Yeah. it just feels gross. It's, it's just weird. Yeah, I've forgotten the other. Ah, who's the other one? There's another woman in a horrible trap in this one, and I've just blanked on what it is. I know. I've kind of forgotten all the traps in this film already. <laughs> I only watched it this week, which is a bad sign. But I don't. I don't remember. Yeah, the the other one is that um, it opens with two guys sitting opposite each other with a, uh, a saw in between them that they can push back and forth, and a woman suspended above it. Uh, who apparently has been dating them both behind one another's backs and they have to decide if they're going to push the saw to kill one of them or leave it in the middle and and let her get splattered. It's just really presented us in a really like horrible way. Like, I I don't know. I can't, it's really hard to define why this one feels so misogynist versus all the others, but it really does seem to kind of just go nasty. It's just mean and spiteful and, and bleh. Yeah, you're totally right. I agree with you. There's a there's a weird quality to it that you get instantly, like you say, from that opening scene in the shop mm-hmm. window or whatever yeah. that is. There's something there's something different about it, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, it feels yeah, mean and kind of punitive in a different way. Like she deserves it mm-hmm. rather than yeah. like for what? <laughs> like, yeah. 
yeah. there's no lesson <laughs> it's just yeah no and i kind of i agree with you like i do like the character of jill i think she's really interesting but i feel like she's never really given enough to like it yeah. almost feels like from what part three maybe you get like a scene or two with her and it always feels like it's yeah. building to something with her. Like there's just one scene in one of them where she just gets given a box. And then there's the next one where she goes in, puts the trap on uh, Hoffman's head. And it's always like we're nearly at that film that's going to be focused on Jill. We're nearly at it. And then we're not really. Or maybe yeah. this is it. But it, I don't know. Like I think Jill, and this is nothing against the performer or anything, but I just think the character of Jill for me or her story was a bit of a misfire. It kind of feels like they've missed an opportunity to do more with her there somehow I don't know yeah I, I think I think same with Kerry and that you know by the time you yeah. get four you think oh this is going to be the detective Kerry movie and I, I think I thought Saw 3D would be the Jill mm. Tuck movie and and yes. it's yeah because yeah, you are like always waiting for that big reveal with Jill I mean it's been so much of I think it's four where Stram's interrogating her and there's so much like weight put on like who she is and what she knows and you're right it's just like teased out a scene or two at a time and yeah, you are always waiting for that big reveal. And the big reveal is, oh, she's got to run away from Hoffman. And yeah. uh, the big reveal is Hoffman's got a knife. Hoffman's got a knife, yeah. <laughs> the thing with four, the first time I tried to watch Saw Four uh, was on DVD and I turned it off at the scene where uh, it's kind of, they give Jigsaw another layer of uh, motivation by her basically having a miscarriage because she's attacked by a drug addict. I, yeah. I couldn't watch that scene. That scene where like he slams, she's very pregnant. And he slams the door. In, like I can't, mm, it's horrible. horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and actually, I mean, Hoffman is not a great, is not a great character and is not a great performance either. And I think that's the problem as well is that these later films lean heavily on Hoffman. And it's great that they try and get Tobin Bell back on screen whenever they possibly can. Thank God. But He's just not a great. He's just no substitute, is he? He feels like a henchman. He feels like a uh, a heavy. Uh, for the, and and suddenly he's become like the big monster. You know, he's kind of the focus of of four, five, six, and seven in a way. And it's um, it's a shame that out of him, Amanda, Jigsaw, even Doctor Gordon, he's the least interesting. I think out of that whole yeah. sort of family yes, of killers. Agreed. You know? I was like in six, where I think most of the film, he's, he's got to be like him pretending that he's not Jigsaw. Well, he's, he's not a jigsaw killer. Mm. And there's a lot of him like, oh, well, what do you know? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so what would that mean if someone were to have done that? Uh, it is, but it's, it's, yeah, it's not yeah. great. <laughs> I do like that scene where they are reverse engineering a jigsaw yes. tape to remove the voice effects, though. And the, 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 the clip that they've got is, right now you're feeling helpless. And then they just play it over and over again as it sort of merges from what sounds like uh, John Kramer into Hoffman's voice as he's standing there and there's like nothing he could do as they yes. they figure out it's him and then like I think he just kills yes. everyone in the room yeah, but yeah. yeah I'm trying to think of what else happens in Seven it's the sort of speak no evil hear yeah. no evil victims isn't it and there's a guy that has to walk blindfolded across some wooden beams and stuff but yeah it's all it's all pretty unmemorable I think it's it's because again it's just too it's too convoluted it's not straightforward enough so it's got this whole thing where he has an acronym for uh is it res is it respect is it respect your life or something and the left but then and you know they've spray painted these things on the wall but like <laughs> why it just it's just it's just weird and 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 kind of terrible and it makes up even like that, that scene where dr gordon comes in is at a jigsaw survivors group kind of yes. like alcohol and non alcoholics and non group, but like 
one of the women there is from a trap that has never happened in any film that we know of. It's just like, what? What is happening? There are a couple of most returning faces there. There's a woman who cuts her arm off in Saw 5. Which, is, it, is it Saw 5 that starts with it, or is it 6? Uh, oh, God. I thought I knew. I was really confident about knowing that, and now I don't know. I think it's 6. I think it's six. Yeah, that trap is, speaking of simple ones, just cut off as much of yourself as you can so it's more than the other person is a great one. And there's, um, yeah, the, the tweaker guy from Five. Yes, uh, Greg, Greg Brick. Brick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, the production of Saw of 3D is quite fascinating in that it's it was supposed to be two films, but then Saw 6 made under a million under under $100 million, so they decided the next one would be the last one. Uh, it went from like a hundred and... I can't over a hundred million dollars to I think sixty-eight million dollars, which is still huge. But so they cancelled the plans for two movies and cut it down to one. And then they'd started shooting in Toronto with David Hackle, who'd directed Saw Five, and then fired him and forced Kevin Greiter, who directed Saw Six, off Paranormal Activity Two to come back and shoot Saw Three D. And he'd wrote he'd wrote a blog piece about it. Yeah, I remember. There's a, that a really blog. sad blog post where he's like well, I guess I have to go back and shoot people torturing each other again and have to tell my like, 85-year-old mother that she was doing another film she wouldn't oh. be able to watch. I mean, she wouldn't have been able to watch Paranormal Activity 2. I, mean, I, I think that's that's really fascinating as well, isn't it? That literally at the turn of the decade, 2010, that you know this was a franchise that had dominated the box office on Halloween every year, right, for seven years. Yeah. 2010 happened, Saw 3D and Paranormal Activity 2 come at the, the exact same time. They're released, I think, on the same week or at least the same month. And then it's almost like passing the baton, isn't it? Because then it kind of like, that's it. Paranormal Activity sort of takes the reins as like the next big October franchise that brings audiences in. And it's also such an interesting demonstration of the way sort of horror changed from the noughties to the 2010s as well, isn't it? And that that sort of baton was passed over at this exact point. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the fact that they were the sequels were making over $100 million every year, it's just batshit to me now. Especially because like... I don't understand how that wasn't still massively profitable because yeah, you know cheap, I think the, I think the highest I think the highest budget of any of them is Saw 3D right where it's like twenty million. Yeah, they go from I think they're all about ten. The sequels are all about yeah, first one's one and then it goes up to like three and then ten pretty consistently yeah. until Saw 3D, which is. I, mean, I guess I was going to say the marketing was probably expensive. I'm not sure it was though because like they had such momentum and like. I mean, that franchise has made so much money in general, hasn't it? There's theme park rides. There's like every, you know, like it is one of the most successful horror franchises ever, isn't it? I think. Um, yeah, it's amazing to think that just because of Saw 6 grossing under 100 million that they'd be like, well, that's it. Um, but maybe they knew also just creatively. <laughs> maybe they thought this is it now. Yeah. Yeah. If they did know creatively, they could have ended six the way it should have ended. In fact, like all, all we needed was just like that scene to be extended so that Hoffman's head blows off That's and it. then everyone's yeah, happy. Yeah, again. could have left everything else as it was. It's true because that can be, you know, that's what that's what. John's legacy to Jill was just make sure Hoffman gets a trap on his head. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to, oh, if Jill gets murdered, can you get Hoffman for me? <laughs> it's like if something happens to Jill, why not get out in front of that? Like it's it's such a shit final act by Jigsaw to be like, I think he might murder my wife if that does yeah. happen. If you could take revenge, yeah. that'd be great. Yeah, awful. I I hate it. I think as well, introducing another um, another accomplice so late in the game just sort of makes a nonsense of all the many, many, many flashbacks we've seen. Because you're like, how come we've never seen this guy before? Come on, that's the problem. Is Carrie always had a contract dispute? Yeah. <laughs> 
So altogether, there was Hoffman, Amanda, Doctor Gordon, mm-hmm. John Kramer. Are we? Yeah. Are we spoiling Jigsaw as well, or are we leaving Jigsaw? Yeah. And then there's it. also that dude, yeah. a name I've forgotten, but the the first ever Apprentice, right? That um, survived his yes. Doctor Something. Yeah. So there's yeah. five of them all together. It's like the Avengers. Like there was millions of them. <laughs> they were all there apparently from the beginning, right? Like right behind that first film and two guys in the bathroom. There was like a whole team of people working on that. <laughs> and they all yeah. hate each other. And they all kind of end up killing each other. Yeah. Uh, it, it probably doesn't hold up in that way. I think sort of I think like maybe emotionally it makes sense as a, as an overall arc. I don't know if it makes sense purely logically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I quite, I do quite like the bit where Carrie always looks at the saw, like a sort of like, ah, hello, old friend, and then throws it at the camera in terrible 3D. Yeah, I think, I think they probably maybe always envisioned that it would end with Dr. Gordon saying game over and slamming that door on somebody, right? You kind of feel like they always knew that was eventually where they were going to get to. It was just sort of how they got to it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think the reveal of there being a surgeon on the team kind of makes sense because of all the, you know, the key is implanted behind your eye nonsense. Yeah. So I kind of, I'm kind of willing to go, yeah, all right, maybe you had a doctor somewhere. Mm. It's true. They kind of needed an engineer, didn't they? John, oh, I suppose that yeah. is what John Kramer <laughs> yeah. is, isn't it? Yeah, okay, fine, <laughs> fine, fine, okay. I'll, ex- I'll accept that. Okay, so before we wrap up, I think the last thing I just want to go back to is um, torture porn. As a phrase, I don't know, how do we feel about it? It, it, you know, it was obviously intended to be an insult to this kind of film. I don't know. I just, I feel like I tweeted about the Rob Zombie movies and felt really weird using it as if maybe that phrase has fallen out of use or, you know, like Gen Z weren't going to know what I was talking about and they would think that I was, I don't know. I don't know. I just felt weird about it. I don't know. What do you think? (laughs) Yeah, I recently covered this topic on my podcast. And even when I Google the term torture porn, I got some results that I did not want to see. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is probably not a very nice phrase, actually, is it? Um, But I I don't know, like, it's one of those things. Yeah, it's not very nice. And you you do feel like it is a bit, obviously, it's, it's kind of it's quite sort of insulting, I suppose, to that that genre of films. But now I think it's kind of a handy shorthand. You know, it's sort of in the same way that elevated mm. horror is. Like, I don't agree with that whole idea of elevated horror, but I kind of now use it a lot as a shorthand for this wave of horror films that we've had over the last five years, right? And, and sometimes it's just, it's easy to stick a label on stuff. And I do, in a way, kind of see how that title, again, not with the Saw film so much, but I do see how that title fits certain movies from that era. Um, that that you do just watch, you do just watch for the gore, and that's it, right? And 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 it is kind of story, character, suspense. Everything else comes second to watching people die slowly or watching people suffer, I suppose. And I guess it kind of, it, it, I don't know. I I think it's in a way fair. <laughs> I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think it implies that. Yeah, that 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 someone being tortured, you're being invited to enjoy it. And it's almost like a climactic thing when someone is being tortured. I don't think there are that many, like there's quite a lot of saw traps that don't actually involve any torture. I think the one that kind of springs to mind as the most torturous is the um, dead pig trap in three. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the most oh, yeah, right. disgusting one, but like, but a lot of them that are just are not. Um, but, and also, yeah, I don't think, even though like John and his accomplices kind of become one thread of the Saw movie story, like I, I don't feel like we're really invited to enjoy them torturing people. 
or killing people or putting people in a position to die easily or whatever it is they say (laughs) i just not in the same way that in a rob zombie movie like i mean it's like i was listening to your discussion about rob zombie and you know those scenes of like in devil's rejects of sherry moon kind of like lap dancing while there was also torturing a family and i don't know there's something much more and and hostile i mean there's literally a scene where a woman's eye ejaculates right like it's like her eye socket it's like that is absolutely kind of sexual imagery merged with gore and stuff you know um but you're right there's not it's i I don't think it applies to the saw movies i really don't they are just they are just gory films, but I, they're not torture porn films. But it is a it is a quite difficult distinction, I guess. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I think Saw's like yeah, so in love with its puzzles and like, from like the plotting, yeah. but also like how those traps work. Like that's, that's I think that's kind of where if you think about kind of what where like the pleasure would come from from watching the traps, it's always in like wait, how does that work? Like, where does that come from? Oh, no, it does that. Like, that's, it's less about the (laughs) pain that you're watching and the gore. I think it's more about the ridiculous ingenuity of those, those traps. In the same way as the Final Destination movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think the the torture porn thing, when you, when you use a term torture porn with someone who doesn't know what you're talking about, it doesn't make the films that you're going to watch sound particularly nice. And, and you, you seem weird for watching them. I do, but it, it is a quite a useful shorthand. Um, I do remember like people being very offended by it, filmmakers working in that genre. But then I think I, I remember I never watched Captivity when it came out, and that was one I watched. We started, I think, when we decided to do the podcast, I was like, "Oh, I never watched that one that everyone got incredibly upset about." Mm. Captivity with Alicia Cuthbert, and that was it's, it's rank, it's gross, and it's really mean. And that's probably the closest I've come to just like thinking of a main street or like a studio produced horror movie as being torture porn it's really it's really tricky isn't it because what would you label all the stuff that was coming out of france at that time as torture porn people often don't do they there's something somehow that elevates movies like martyrs subtitles so yeah subtitles i don't know i can't pinpoint what that is but i feel there is a difference as well like i feel like there's a there's an emotional empathy to its characters in Martyrs. Like you genuinely feel upset for what they're being put through. Whereas with Hostel, you're invited to laugh at it or get off on it. I don't know if I agree with that with Hostel. I'm gonna, yeah, no, please um, do. Cause... We're not talking too much about Hostel today, but like, I, I, I really, I think, well, I don't know. I haven't rewatched really it. That's going to be a fun episode, but um, I never felt that way about Hostel. Um, I always felt for those characters. Yeah. Um, and I think it does some interesting stuff with, you know, like you think that like Josh, the nice boy is going to be the main character and then he gets killed off halfway through and, and it becomes Paxton the jerk who you have to root for. Like, I know... I don't. Th- I don't think Eli Roth is a good filmmaker, but I did really think that there's something really nice. Like Hostel's really nicely structured, but like in the way that it just feels like there are you know reversals of expectations, and then there's that bit halfway through where it kind of blacks out and it goes from being a nice holiday to a terrible mm-hmm. one, and like everything seems to fall into place in a way that feels very deliberate and quite smart. And I really like. Yeah, you know, even when you see the girls not dolled up in their makeup and they're just. I don't know, like just hanging out, <laughs> but, but, but now they're baddies. I, I think there's some nice stuff in there. I hope. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, no, I'm kind of. Scared I think you're right. It. Like I'm sure I'm in the minority. I, I, I can't bear it. I, I think it's a tone. I think for me, it's a tonal thing. Like I just, it. I can't help but feel like with Hostel. I'm I'm supposed to be laughing like I feel like it's a bro comedy from beginning to end even when the bros are getting cut up like I feel like it's supposed to and I maybe it's also the own my experience I have with it when I saw it at the cinema 
everyone was laughing and cheering and it's fine like that's cool like you you get that when you go see slashes or whatever like that happens you laugh at those sorts of films but I also just kind of found it that a little bit boring like I kind of I, I think when it when I'm watching something happen to characters that kind of uh, extreme I think I wanted more out of it than just kind of like yeah eyeballs and stuff like that I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. there just wasn't much more to it for me personally that I that I can get out of I it. thought that there was but I don't I feel like I can't trust my sort of tw- early 20-something self. Yes, so I'm, really I'm, I'm worried about it. it. I remember liking really it at the time. Yeah. It. See what you think. See what you think. Because I think there is clearly like there's some stuff that he's trying to say with that film. And it's, it's you know, America's kind of that America, uh, that American kind of mentality and them, how, you know, how they treat foreigners, you know, and, and all of that kind of thing is, is in there too. Um, yeah. Just wish it was a better made film that also said all of that, you know? Yeah. I think I, th- that's the thing. I think I felt that at the time that, yeah, he was making a comment about, uh, yeah, American attitudes to, to other cultures. I know a lot of people just read that as, him being disrespectful of other cultures rather than it being the characters no i don't i actually don't think i actually don't know i don't think that's true actually i don't think that it is like it's it's not being like pro-america anti-foreigner i think you'd have to be pretty i think you i don't think that comes across it's it's more that it's just i just didn't think that it hangs together very well as a story i think that like i'm spending the first hour of this film with three characters that i really find repugnant and then i'm spending the second half watching them get tortured in in for me a bit of a boring way like I, there was just not much for me to cling on to as a uh, as an enjoyable horror film i think personally but yeah yeah i am worried about that. i do remember going to see it as a teenager at the cinema and really enjoying it and loving it and i think i have seen it a couple of times since but not for probably probably going on 10 years now actually it's been yeah, a long so time it's... yeah so i'm worried about a lot i mean i i really loved it like i ended up like becoming friends for a little while with Ethel, the guy who plays um God, I've forgotten his character name, the um the of course my horse, King of the Swing guy. And like like Craig, my husband and I went out for cocktails with him and his wife when he oh, was cool. in London. Oh, and, like, nice. Amazing. <laughs> like <laughs> and he t- um I was on the like text message group when uh the child was born and he literally was like swing swing a new king is born and stuff he's still in character like to that extent and it was so cute and like i really worry that i'm gonna watch this film and i'm gonna hate it (laughs) (laughs) no i mean maybe maybe i don't know i'm intrigued to see what you think watching it again Mm. but um i've never seen any of the sequels either i've heard from loads of people that the second one is much better than the first and that i should give it a try disagree with that I hate really? the second one. The second one went, is where I went from planning my wedding to Eli Roth to never wanting to hear his name again. That's really interesting. Wow. <laughs> so I really, yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I loved Cabin Fever. I loved Hostel and I hated Hostel too. And I I, I think of all the things we've revisited, it's going to be the most um, yeah. eye-opening, I think. It's really interesting, isn't it? Have you rewatched Cabin Fever recently? No, I'm so worried about Cabin Fever. I loved it Guys, so much. It's one I'm... of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. It is uh, <laughs> uh, borderline unwatchable. Oh my god! <laughs> and I and I remember having quite a lot of fun with it when I was like 14. But my god, yeah. watching it this time round, I was like, this is gross and not in a fun oh, no! way. Have you seen yeah. the remake? No, I'm not going the near remake the remake. The remake is so fucking terrible. Baffling, <laughs> yeah. Like, it's such a weird I can't, film. I, I feel like uh, at least it must be better than that. 
Oh God, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Okay, well, I think we've um, we've decided what we're doing for our next episode. <laughs> <laughs> Dead silence. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So we're either going to do more James Wan or we're going to do Hostel. But I feel like maybe we're going to do Hostel. We'll see. Um, but yeah. So for now, so thank you so much, Mike, for joining us. This is amazing. No worries. It's been so much fun. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and uh, in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Chilenial Hpod. And um, yeah, we'll be back soon, possibly talking about Hostel, if we can face it. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs>